Let us turn then to 1 Samuel chapter 13. You will remember whenever we looked at Hannah's song, we heard that the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Well, that is what we are reminded of, I think, in this chapter. Because in this chapter, the actions of Saul the king are weighed by God. They are weighed and he is found wanting. And what is more, God sends his prophet Samuel to tell him so. And so the climax of this chapter is the encounter of Samuel with Saul that we read of in verses 9 through to 14. I especially highlight the words in verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Tonight I want to consider with you Saul's folly. In the closing part of Samuel's address in the previous chapter, chapter 12, whenever the address was given, it was given not only to Israel, it was also given to the king. The king was among the hearers, the Lord's anointed. And in that address that we studied, we heard the call of God to the hearers that they should not turn aside. Chapter 12, verse 20. Turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside. And then verse 24. Only fear the Lord, and serve him in truth with all your heart. So God is to be served with the heart in obedience to his command, and there's to be no turning aside from the Lord's word. And that address concluded in verse 25 with these words, If ye shall still do wickedly, that is, if ye shall turn aside, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king, your king as well. He has to serve the Lord too. He cannot turn aside either. So this word in chapter 12, against turning aside, was given to the king as well as to the people. The word consume here at the end of verse 25, your king and you consumed, the word here means to take away. Literally to scrape away. It's the word that's used sometimes to describe the removing of the beard. A man's beard, it's scraped away, it's shaved away. So that it completely goes and disappears. And this is what God says he will do to Israel. They'll be scraped away. Your king, he'll be scraped away, he'll be consumed. In this chapter 13, we see Saul turning aside. Turning aside from God's word 
And God tells him his kingdom will not continue. His kingdom will cease. And we read that there in the verse 14. Now thy kingdom shall not continue. That means that along the saw line it will cease. It will not continue. It's going to be scraped away and there's going to be a new line. A man after my own heart. And it's going to continue along that line. But the saw line will discontinue. And it is because Saul has turned aside. In this chapter 13, whenever Saul turns aside, the amazing thing is that he turns aside in that very place where he had been told not to turn aside. It was at Gilgal. It was a very solemn meeting. All Israel was called to Gilgal. And now, in the providence of God, years later, Saul is back there at Gilgal. The same place. In the very place where he heard the address of Samuel in all its solemnity. In that very place, with the memory of the sermon echoing in his head, he turns aside. In the very place. I think that's to be noted. Verses 7 to 8. Saul he was yet in Gilgal. Verse 8. He tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal. So it's emphasized it is there. And it is in this place. Where they met God. Where they had the great meetings. Where they were repentant. In that very place now, he is displeasing God. And that makes it all the more solemn, his turning aside. All the more wicked. Now our meeting place is, I trust to us, a very special and a sacred place. And I trust that here many times we have been taught of God. And have heard his word and have discovered his will. It is especially so then that we must be careful in this place where we have met with him, where we have heard his word, where it's been revealed unto us, where we have told so, been told so many times not to turn aside. So it needs to be brought to our hearts that in this place especially we should not be guilty of turning aside. Our meeting place is sacred. And it's the last place we want to turn aside in. And go wrong here. In the very place of the house of God. In the very place where the word of God has echoed. That we could possibly go aside in the very place. It has happened to many churches. That in the very place where they were told not to go aside, in that very place they did. They did. So we are to be warned about this. We are to be very careful, especially in the house of God, and that we do nothing in this sanctuary that displeases him. 
Because this is part of the sin of Saul. This is what magnifies it. It's in that place. The church has brought something in that's foreign in this place. It has done something that is contrary to the word of God in this place. It has turned aside from something that was sacred to God and should have been kept and obeyed. They've turned aside from it in that very place. Disobeyed the holy commandment of the word in that place. Saul has brought something foreign in. As we shall see. He has done something that he ought not to have done in that place. In that place. And I want to emphasize that tonight. We can't bring whatever we like and please into the house of God. We can't bring anything foreign in. Anything contrary to the word of God in. This is not just a failure at home by Saul. This is not just a failure in the street or some other village or in the community somewhere else by Saul I am sure Saul sins as we all sin in thought and word but this is in Gilgal that's the thing this is in the meeting place this is where they covenanted with God this is where they had the new beginning it's in that place It has to do with God's work, with God's worship, with God's sacred things in Gilgal, where the altar is now, it seems. So this is not just to do with uh, the second table of the law, and Saul's going to say in some things in the second table of the law. No, this has to do with the first table of the law in Gilgal. That's what it has to do with. So this sin is not of the same nature of the sin of Aaron and the people of Israel at Sinai, but it's it's very similar to it. Remember they were at Sinai, the sacred place. The the Lord gave the ten words in chapter 20 of Exodus. And then Moses, he went up up to God. And what did Aaron do as he was below with the people of Israel? Well, he fashioned God, a golden calf. It was in that very place in Sinai. And God had just echoed the words, the first table. No no other gods before me, not make unto thee graven images. And Moses is up there, and God says, they've quickly turned aside, and they've done it here in the foot of the mount. Go down. And they've made this golden calf and turned aside. At the very place where God said, don't turn aside and don't make golden calves and don't have idols. And they've done it. In the very place. Well, this is what Saul is doing. He's doing something similar. God said, don't turn aside from the commandment. And he's doing that. As those words are echoing in chapter 12. And we're in chapter 13. Now, the question has often been debated, was Saul a true believer? Was he real? Is he saved? And at the last, despite his failures, makes heaven? I don't know. 
I'm not going to tell you the answer to that because I don't know. Nobody knows. The Lord knows. But this I know. If he is at the last saved by grace, it is only by the skin of his teeth, so to speak, and everything else is burned up. It's all burned up. And he burned it all up that day when he turned aside. Doesn't Paul tell us every man's work shall be made manifest? For the day, that's the judgment day, shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And we have to wait to that day. And the fire shall try every man's work, not not just Saul's, not just the unbelievers, but us too, the believers as well. The Lord shall try every man's work of what sort it is. We're all judged by works. I didn't say we're saved by works. No. But we're all judged by them. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. And great loss it shall be indeed. But he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. So Saul is a warning to us all. Is every glory the same glory and glory? No. The saved are saved. They're all saved. All saved by grace. But the rewards of glory are not the same. Some have more crowns than others. Some have many crowns. Some have none. No crowns burned up. So it's not a level playing field in glory. There are degrees of glory. Every man, every saint is judged according to their works. And we are sure that the judge of all the earth does right. And Saul should remind us of that. So it's, it's not a question of whether he's saved or not. That's with the Lord, whether he had true faith and has grace in his life. But at the end of the day, he just had ashes for God. Ashes. It wasn't a life of usefulness and glory to God. You remember what Paul said? I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. A castaway. Now, I do not think he's speaking about his salvation, but of his disqualification from the rewards in heaven and from usefulness in time. About his usefulness in the work of God presently and about the crowns of glory in eternity hereafter. I think that's what he's speaking about. Saul, if he is saved, is a castaway. By this sin he ends his usefulness in the kingdom, in this world. And he loses his reward, if he has salvation at all, in the world to come.
It is therefore a warning to us all, and it's why it's in the Bible. He is a further illustration of why we should not turn aside. The message that we focused on last week, turn not aside. Well, here in the next chapter, here's a perfect illustration of a man who did turn aside and why we ought not to do so, especially in the sacred place of the house of God. Saul rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and we cannot do that and not suffer the consequences. Now, he's a very sad case, not only here, but also in in future chapters as well. A man who just throws away his usefulness for God, just throws it away, time and time again. And finishes his days by practically saying, Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Imagine having to finish your days saying that. I played the fool all my days and I have erred exceedingly. What a sad way to go. How awful. At the end of the day, and you have only ashes to offer God. A wasted life. Erring exceedingly. Erring endlessly. Playing the fool daily. Now notice what Samuel says when he arrives at Gilgal. In verse 11, Samuel said, What hast thou done? What hast thou done? This isn't a casual question. You know, you just meet somebody and say, what, what have you done today? What kind of a day has it been? It's not a casual question. This is a solemn word of God. What have you done? Samuel knows. Samuel is aware that he has gone aside and he meets him face on and he says, what have you done? What have you done? He's a bold man, Samuel. He might be old and grey-headed and physically frail, but he's not morally weak, nor spiritually frail. There's sin. There's a wicked deed in the sanctuary. In the sacred place. Samuel knows it. And Saul knows it too, you know. He does. What hast thou done? And Saul knows what he's getting on at. Because we know that because of his answer there. Because I saw the people were scattered. You know, I forced myself. Saul knows the tone of the question. He knows he has done wrong. Saul knows that Samuel is rebuking him by the very question. What have you done? Many a church has to be asked that has departed and has brought in foreign elements of the world. Many a church has to be asked, what have you done? What have you done? Many a session has to be asked as if allowed things to creep in and to come in. They have to be asked, What have you done? 
Personally, the Lord searches us. What have you done? Samuel's bringing the word of God to Saul, searching him with the word of God, because the word of God is searching. It's a light. It's a lamp that searches. You remember how we saw there, God said, I'll search Jerusalem with a lamp. The word is searching. What hast thou done? It scrutinizes us. It examines us. Yes, we are to search the word. That is true. But the word also searches us. It is meant to be a light on our hearts, on our lives, that we search it, or it searches us. I hardly know which comes first, but both are inseparable. And if we do search the word, we are to search it in order that it search us. And if we are not searching it with that intent, we are not searching it in the way that we ought. So we search the searching word. And if we don't let it search us, we might as well not search it. So one is in order to the other. And both are inseparable. David felt this aspect of the word. He said, O Lord, thou hast searched me. And moreover, he prayed for it as well because he said in his Psalms, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. That, that is not that God might know his heart, he prays that, but that David know his heart as God's word searches it. And if the word doesn't search us, we're not reading it right. And if preaching doesn't search us, the word is not being preached right. It's a question of doing. What have you done? Not a question of his thoughts merely, or even his words, but of his doing. A question of doing. Who can know his thoughts? None of us know our thoughts. We don't know our hearts. Our hearts are unsearchable, but not our deeds. Our deeds are not unsearchable. Our deeds are not as many as our thoughts our thoughts are thousands, so many tens of thousands every day. Who can know them? Who can search them? But we can search our deeds. It's our deeds that get onto the conscience. Our doings. What have you done? The deed is the deepest thoughts in fruition. We are judged according to our Deeds, our works. Now God knows the thoughts of men and the thoughts of men will be revealed. But the Bible is constantly saying, judge according to your works, your doings. It reminds us of the question of God to Eve. The Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? That thou hast done. So God first asked the question. And every prophet has continued to ask it in his name. What hast thou done? The woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The right answer. Bless Eve. The right answer. It wasn't long either before the Lord also had to go to her son, Cain, with a similar question. What hast thou done? 
The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. What hast thou done? And that's the sense of Samuel's question. He's in the line of God and questioning Eve and questioning Cain. Now he comes in God's name. Are going aside in the very house of God in the sanctuary. What have you done? I smell the burning flesh. I see the smoke ascend off the altar. And the lamb goes up in the smoke. And I didn't offer it Saul. And maybe Saul has an ephod on. I don't see any priests about Saul. I smell the flesh on your person Saul. Maybe he's even wearing a white coat. What have you done? The deed is described for us so that we're not in any doubt about it. Verse 9, Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me. To me. The king, but not the priest. Bring it to me. And he offered the whole burnt offering unto God. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Behold, they could see him. They're telling him, here's Samuel. Saul went out to meet him, knowing rightly what he's going to hear. This is an intrusion into the priestly office. He's a king, not a priest. This is a corruption of the worship of God. This is a foreign element. This is a departure from the clear word of God. Samuel had an ephod. He was raised in the house of God. He was allowed to act as a priest in an age when priests had corrupted themselves. You remember the sons of Eli and all of that? Samuel was allowed to offer. But Saul had never been called to that office. He was not allowed to act as priest around the altar. He couldn't even approach onto the altar. He can't go up to the altar. Saul was meant to wait for Samuel. And Saul knew this very well. But he's under pressure. The Philistines are gathering. Israel's trembling. They have to pray. And so Saul feels the need for a sacrifice and he feels he can't pray without a sacrifice Samuel's not here I just have to do it myself this is superstition this isn't obedience this is going beyond the word of God he can pray all he wants he should pray all he wants and if he has to go out without a sacrifice to obey is better than sacrifice let him go out. But he's not to bring in something that God has not commanded in the sanctuary. He's not to offer the burnt offering. So he assumed that the burnt offering is some kind of magic that will bring some kind of victory. You know, Saul doesn't think right. He hasn't got a grinding in the word of God. If he's a believer, he's an infant believer. And he's just got into the power place and it's all gone to his head. And he's a king. He's even been among the prophets. And now he thinks he can be among the priests. 
has gone to his head. Ambition, position, always big dangers in the church of God. No king in Israel could ever be a prophet, a priest, and a king. Not even David. Uzziah, a later king of Judah, he became a leper by intruding into the priestly office. Only Melchizedek was priest king, and he as a type of the true priest king, Jesus Christ. No man taketh this honour upon himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. And Christ did not himself take the glory even of becoming a high priest. He didn't tread into it. He didn't run into it. But his father said, By an oath, thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, a priest king. So the question then is a sharp rebuke. And the response ought to have been clear. Confess, repent. This is a time to confess and repent. What have you done? Confess, repent. He's giving him opportunity. You see, there's always forgiveness with God. Even when we go astray and aside in the house of God. Always forgiveness. Even healing and restoration. Samuel does not yet prophesy doom. He waits for repentance. And if Saul would have judged himself, the situation might have been otherwise. But Saul does not judge himself. He justifies himself. Justifying ourselves is always dangerous. He even puts the blame on others. Verse 11 and 12 Samuel said, because I saw the people, they were scattered from me. Thou didn't come within the days appointed. You were late, Samuel. And the Philistines, they gathered themselves together. And I said, the Philistines will come down upon me. And I haven't made my prayer unto God. I forced myself. Oh yeah, likely story. I forced myself to do it. No repentance here, is there? No repentance whatsoever. Arrogance. Justifying it. Oh, the people, the people. And you too, Samuel, you too as well. And the Philistines, everybody's the part to blame of it. And I, the poor wee man, I, I forced myself to keep everybody happy. This is not a confession of sin. You know, brothers and sisters, we're too quick to judge others and too slow to judge ourselves. That's the problem with the Christian church today. That's why the Christian church has no power. It's hypercritical and can't confess its own sins. We are judgmental. Very extremely so. But not of ourselves. And that's where all our troubles arise. That's why we are powerless. And that's why we don't have healing. For if his people confess their sins, they will. Now you know that Paul brings this up at the Lord's table. Our Gilgal. What does he say? God's worship, God's house, the Lord's table, not eating and drinking unworthily. What does he say? If we would judge ourselves. 
if we would judge ourselves. We should not be judged. That's a blessed word. If we but confess our sins. If we but smite on our breasts and say, yes, I'm the man. We would not be judged. And so there is this unlikely story I forced myself. It reminds me again of Aaron. You know, I, I threw the gold into the fire. And, uh, and this came out, you know, Moses, this, this, this golden calf. Oh, yes. So Samuel runs out of patience and he's sickened by this response. And now he breaks into solemn prophesying. But before he does so, he solemnly rebukes Saul and tells him what he has done. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Now this is what Saul ought to have said. This is what Saul ought to have confessed. I've done foolishly. But he doesn't see the folly. God does. God's word does. And God's word calls sin for what it is. Folly. Sin is folly. Turning aside from the word of God. We, we saw it last week. It's folly. Here it is. Here it is in picture. Here it is in, a, in an example. You know, that's why there's so many examples in the Bible. Because, you know, God tells us the word. And he gives us the propositions and the commandments. But they don't really hammer home until you have a pattern. We need patterns to really sink it into our hearts. And that's why it's good to be in the, in the life of a, of a good man, because you have a pattern there, you're seeing something. That's far more influential on you than a few propositions and some words flying around your head. And so God gives us pictures. Tells us the stories. Here's a foolish man who does foolishness. And what is folly? Folly is... Verse 13, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Folly is going beyond the commandment. Folly is not doing the commandment, or doing what God does not command. That's folly. Adding to it, taking away from it, whatever side you go, it's folly. Folly did not do commandments, and folly to go beyond the commandment of God. Earthly wisdom. Oh, we think we should have this. We should bring this in. We should do this. We should do the other. Has God commanded it? That has not done the commandment of God. Let's be more concerned about doing the commandments of God. Not trying to find something else to do beyond that. We've got enough to do just to do the commandments of God. Let's not do foolishly. Let's not be given to folly. Just let's stay close to the Word of God. We'll leave it there for tonight.